Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This week, of course, is the week of Thanksgiving, which everyone knows is the best holiday of the year. Because it's all about food, right? (laughs) It's definitely my wife's favorite holiday of the year. Um... (laughs) Now, the, the, the cool thing about Thanksgiving is um, it's actually somewhat unique as a public holiday because it was set apart by the government as a day of thanksgiving to God. Um, it was a, an explicitly religious holiday. Um, George Washington called for a day of, of uh, thanksgiving after the close of the Revolutionary War and the drafting of the um, uh, Constitution, um, President Lincoln, after the, well, actually during the Civil War, um, instituted a fixed day, uh, the, the last Thursday of the month, and then, um, so what you see in each of those times is that clearly there was a consensus that the proper response to the circumstances was thanksgiving to God. And that was quite a, a common thing in that, in that era. Um, I think today most people don't even know that there was any kind of religious meaning to the holiday at all. That, that component has virtually been lost, um, as far as I can tell. Um, and the interesting thing as I was looking into this is that even though the religious aspect seems to have been lost, um, there is still this conviction in society that we should be grateful for stuff. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny that we need to, like, remind ourselves to be grateful. <laughs> uh, we have to have a day, you know, we have to, and, and, which is interesting. Um, you, you travel to other parts of the world where there's, there's a lot more scarcity and people don't have to be reminded so much that you really should be grateful. Um, but... It's interesting to me that there's this, um, even though the religious aspect seems to have been lost, there's this kind of growing movement of, um, of gratitude. Um, so there's a whole movement of popular psychology that, pra- that, that encourages the practice of gratitude. Have you come across this? Um, you know, whether it's Oprah or Dr. Phil or, you know, like popular kind of self-help stuff. There's a cottage industry of books on cultivating gratitude. I, I, I sometimes edit podcasts for people. I just did a 30-podcast series on um, practices of gratitude uh, for somebody. And so there's this gratitude movement that's growing, and actually there's been some scientific research on this. Um, UC Berkeley did a study that showed being a grateful person has massive individual and social benefits, including better health, better and emotional psychological well-being. Plus, at the social level, it makes for better relationships, better workplaces. It makes people kinder, more generous, more helpful. There's a lot of benefits to simply being grateful, intentionally grateful. And so um, there's almost this obsession with practicing gratitude in our society, and more and more people seem to be doing this as, as something that they work into their day. Um, and it seems 
my question is, if that's true, and we're, we're really interested in gratitude, why don't we seem to see the effects that Berkeley says we should see at a bigger scale? Right? Um, it doesn't seem like we're increasing in emotional and psychological well-being <laughs> at a big scale. It certainly doesn't seem that we have a kinder, more generous, helpful atmosphere uh, these days. But So my question is, um, why aren't we seeing that? And I think it might be to do with this. Everyone knows that they have much to be grateful for, but people question whether they have someone to be grateful to. We know we should be grateful for, but we don't know whom to be grateful to. And so we recognize that we enjoy all sorts of blessings, all sorts of gifts, uh, all sorts of comforts, but we don't, we seem to have lost view of the gift giver, of whom we should be grateful towards. And it's, uh, it's, it's actually that precise lack of gratitude to God when you read Romans chapter 1, that's what Paul indicates is the source of humanity veering off course. Lacking gratitude towards God. And so, um, if that's the way that the Bible says we veer off course from God, I'd like to suggest today that gratitude is the most basic, um, fundamental thing that needs to be present in your life if you want to head back on the right direction towards God, okay? And so we're going to study um, gratitude this morning, uh, that in fact the entire Christian life is a life of gratitude, and that it's the core motive of a disciple's heart, okay? So grateful for what? That's the question this morning, and we're going to study a well-known uh, section of the book of Ephesians that talks about our ultimate reason for gratitude to God, which is his gift of saving love, okay? That gift transforms us, and it produces a life of gratitude. And so the title of the message today is The Gifts of Gratitude, and we're going to be looking at God's gift, and there's three points. Uh, a couple of you may have heard me share some of this before, but uh, there's three points, and they each begin with the, the prefix super, all right? So God's gift is supererogatory, in nature, it's superlative in scale, and it is superfluous in effect. And don't worry if you don't know any of those words, because we're going to get into them, okay? So let's, we're, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And the word grace there could also be translated gift. By a gift, you have been saved. And it's the word charis, um, from which we get um, charisma or charismatic, all the, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and, and if you notice, it's right in the middle of the word uh, eucharist. You, um, when you go to Greece today, if anyone's been to Greece, you know the way to say thanks is Eucharisto. Eucharist. You're, you're literally going around telling people, Eucharist, Eucharist, Eucharist. Um, and so um, this week, as we're celebrating Thanksgiving, it is a festival of Eucharist, of giving thanks. Um, I just think that's really cool. So, by grace, 
you have been saved, and, raised, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, let's delve into this. The first thing that we see in this passage is that the character of God is that he is a giver. This is who he is. He's rich in mercy and love, and he gives them without measure. God is a giver. This is simply how he exists. This is his natural state. And it's part of God's natural state. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God is love. And love, by nature, is self-giving. Love naturally pours itself out for the beloved. Right? When you're in love with someone, you just can't help but, you know, give them gifts of words and gifts of actual things and gifts of time. You know, you pour yourself out in self-giving love. And so this is so much part of God's nature. It's not just that God is loving, but that he is love. And why can John tell us that? It's because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the perfect union of of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing eternally as this community of self-giving love. That's a very quick rundown of of the Trinity. (laughs) Love can only exist in the context of relationships. So we can say that God not only is loving, but that he is love because he is eternally this community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so um, this is the reason behind all of creation. It's like a loving married couple. You know, Selene and I were married for a number of years before we decided to have children. And it's not that we decided to have children because, you know, we needed to or that you know, they were going to give us something if we had them. It's just that we wanted to extend the community of love of our household. That's, that's like a, a parent's heart. And so God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. Creation doesn't give anything to him. He didn't create us because he lacked something. He created us because he was overflowing with love and simply wanted to extend that community of love. And so... He didn't need to do it. There was nothing compelling him to do it. It was what philosophers call supererogatory. All right? God's gift is supererogatory in nature. Now, I love this word because it makes you sound really smart. (laughs) And I heard it in a philosophy lecture, and I probably haven't ever heard it since. But this is what it means. It's a word that's used in ethics to talk about a, a good act that goes above and beyond what is needed. It goes above and beyond what could be expected um, by duty. So, for instance, um, you'd be doing something supererogatory if um, you donated your kidney to a stranger. Now, maybe if it was a family member, someone would say, that's your duty. But no one would expect you to donate a vital organ to a stranger. That would be a supererogatory act. And the crazy thing is that God doesn't just sometimes do this. Every single thing he does towards us is supererogatory. It's above and beyond what is necessary for him to do. 
And here's the point, that God can never owe us anything. (laughs) Here's the thing. So I said everything that God does is supererogatory. Even if God reached out to the best of us, even if he picked out, you know, one person in all of history who said, you know, that's, that's the best human being that's ever lived and saved that person, it would still be above and beyond what is actually required of him. And the issue with us, when you read this chapter, when you look back previous to what we started reading, um, it's not like humanity is, is doing really great and so God decided to bless us. It says, uh, it says humanity is actually as good as dead. We're wandering around aimlessly. We're misusing our bodies, misusing the creation. We're misusing our minds. We're steering ourselves towards destruction because we're self-centered. We're disobedient. And so that's the essence of what sin is. But it says, but God chose to love us, chose to be merciful towards us. Even though we were dead in our sins, it says he made us alive together with Christ. And so that's the generosity of God. It is utterly supererogatory. It's a gift. It is grace. It's above and beyond. And so when you read that passage, I mentioned that the word uh, grace there is hadis. It's, it could be translated gift. Um, and so the word gift actually turns up four times in this passage, three times as hadis, and then the last time as another word, uh, doron. And... Um, and it's significant. And so we're, we're talking about God's gift. And the second point here, we're going to start looking at the nature of this gift. God's gift is superlative in scale. You know the word superlative. It means it's, it's, uh, it's, it's exaggerated. It's, it's the, the, the highest excessive amount that you can imagine. It's, it's over and above. And so Paul, in this passage, he goes to great lengths to show us that God's gift is the most extravagant gift that's ever been given. The truest gift that's ever been given. Because God freely, willingly offered salvation to people who didn't deserve it. Forgiveness, making spiritual, spiritually dead people alive together with Christ. And it says, he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So the word there, immeasurable, is um, hyperbalon. It's the word we get our word hyperbolic from. To show us his hyperbolic gift. It's, it's hyperbole. It's, it's almost ridiculous when we hear it. But he's not talking about it being an exaggeration. He's saying, when you look at how good he is towards us, you would think it's an exaggeration, but it's not. He's made us together with Christ. He's talking, about, um, he's talking about making us heirs with him, making us co-heirs with Jesus. And so it's utterly above and beyond. It's utterly superlative. And so all of that is amazing news, but I want us to zero in on, on this question of why is it so important to Paul to stress that this is a gift? Because he does it four times. He says, this is a gift by grace, by grace, by grace. It's a gift. Get it through your heads. This is a gift. Why is he so um, emphatic on that point? And I think it's two reasons, all right? If we miss the fact that God's uh, salvation is a gift, 
Number one, we turn the good news into bad news. And number two, we rob God of the thanks and glory that he should receive. All right, so now let's look at that. We've we got to explore the nature of gifts, okay? There's a great book, one of my favorite books by a guy called Lewis Hyde called The Gift, uh, and he looks at, um, he's looking at the nature of gifts, and, and really it's about art and how art is a gift. Um, but um, he looks at why gifts are essentially different from commodities, all right? And the basic point is that um, commodities and gifts are part of two different kinds of market, all right? Commodities are the kinds of things that are bought and sold and bartered, all right? Commodities flow towards the type of people who have the resources to buy them, all right? And in a market of commodities, you measure the people at the top by how much they can consume, how much they can accumulate, all right? That's the nature of a commodities market. But he says gifts are completely different. So gifts are the kind of thing that cannot be bought or sold or bartered. And because they're not sellable, they flow towards the people who cannot purchase them. And in a gift economy, you measure the people at the top not by how much they accumulate, but by how much they give. All right? So, okay. All right, Ian, what does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with the gospel? Well, the fact that Paul stresses that salvation is a gift, not a commodity that you must earn, it shows us why the gospel is completely different from any other world religion or system of uh, any religious system, all right? And it's because religion and gospel operate in two different markets, all right? So follow me here, okay? First point, religion operates in the market economy. The gospel operates in the gift economy. So what? All right, let's look at this. What is religion all about? Religion says God has a certain standard, a certain price on his favor towards you. So if you want to please God, you have to do X, Y, and Z, you have to morally perform to earn his favor, all right? If you want to get in, good in God's good books, you need to show that you have what it takes to please him. And if you do, then you'll be okay, all right? So what's happening there? Well, you can see it's a marketplace, all right? There's an exchange going on, an exchange of value. It's me coming to God with my moral goodness and saying... God, reward me for how good I am. Be pleased with me for how good I am, right? And so, when I was thinking about this, I realized, you know, sometimes people think they're turned off from Christians and Christianity because they say, well, Christians are so exclusive. They say only, you know, it's only Jesus that can save. You know, how, that's really exclusive. And, and actually, when you understand how this works, it's religion that is absolutely exclusive, because what it says is, you can only enter into God's favor if you can afford it. Only the morally rich can enter into God's favor. And of course, the bad news is, when you really take a look at yourself, you know <laughs> you, you can't really get there. You know, you could be the best swimmer in the world, but you can't, you know, 
you'd be a much better swimmer than me, but you said, if you said, okay, let's, I'm going to swim to Hawaii, you know, you would get like a hundred more miles than me maybe, but you're not making it to Hawaii. <laughs> you're just not, <laughs> you know, and, and it's kind of like that. Um, none of us is, is, is morally rich enough to really think that we could stand before the creator of the universe who is holy and, and think that we deserve to be there. And so, religion is exclusive in that sense because only those who, who can afford it can enter into the market, all right? Now, the gospel is different because the gospel operates in the gift economy, which means it's universal. Every person has access to the gift economy. Why? Because gifts flow towards the people who can't afford them. Gifts flow towards the, 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 the empty place, not the full place. And so no one's left out. This is why he says, he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. So, religion and economy operate, uh, religion and gospel operate in these different economies. And so, the, the, what you also see is that the effect is different in these two different economies, okay? So, in the market economy, who gets, sorry, in the, in, the, in the commodities market, who gets the glory out of the exchange, all right? I'll give you the answer. It's the person who makes the purchase, all right? So if you go out and buy a Ferrari, all right, who comes out looking good in that exchange? It's not the dealership, right? It's you because, hey, everybody, I can drive a Ferrari. I can afford a Ferrari, right? I'm not condemning Ferrari owners, I'm just saying, <laughs> you, you tend to buy those types of things um, because you have the money to, ha to do it, and you, and you come out looking good. You feel good because you're, you're getting shine. You're getting glory out of that, okay? So, um, <laughs> now imagine someone gave you the gift of a Ferrari. Now who looks good in that exchange? Wouldn't it be strange if you went around, you know, you, you get the gift of a Ferrari and you, and you go around saying, man, look at me. I got a gift of a Ferrari. You know, how amazing am I? No, you, you, you know, the more natural thing would be, oh my gosh, you won't believe what so-and-so gave me. Aren't they incredible? Aren't they just generous? I could never afford that. They gave this to me, right? Um, that would be the natural thing to do. And so, this is why the gospel is such good news, because, because it's a gift, everyone is welcome, and God gets all the glory. And if we forget that it's a gift, we end up turning it into bad news, because it means only the, only the chosen few can afford it, and we rob God of the glory that he should naturally receive, because it makes it all about us. And so you say, okay, well, this is kind of basic, Ian, I understand this. The gospel's a gift, you know. And um, I just want to say, not so fast. <laughs> because I think scripture and experience shows us just how easy it is to treat a gift as if it were a commodity. To treat a gift as if it's something that we deserve and earned. There's a lot of ways to turn a gift into a commodity. Um, Woody Allen used to end one of his stand-up routines, he used to say, um, he, he would take his watch out of his pocket and he said, this is a precious family heirloom. My grandfather sold it to me on his deathbed. 
And of course, the joke is there, you can't sell a gift, right? It ceases to be a gift. As soon as you try and sell a gift or, or barter for a gift, it ceases to be a gift. You're treating it as if it were a commodity that could be bought and sold. It changes, when you do that, it changes its nature, and it steps out of the gift market and into the commodity market, all right? So we all know this from everyday life, all right? This is why when someone gives you a present, it's rude to ask, how much did you pay for it? (laughs) You know, sometimes we, we do that, but like, it's not polite, right? It's also why it's embarrassing to do what my mom does, which is always forget to remove the label. I don't think she's ever given a Christmas gift where you didn't know exactly how much she spent on it. <laughs> and it's embarrassing because, you know, that, that's not part of the gift exchange. Um, it's also... Um, so I, how, how can you tell that you're doing this, all right? Well, I would encourage you, don't let your attitudes go unexamined. Don't let your attitudes towards God's gift go unexamined. Because here's how we can tell that this is starting to to come into our thinking. It's whenever we begin to feel a sense of entitlement towards God. As soon as you begin to feel entitled to the gift that you're receiving, you're not treating it as a gift. You're treating it as wages, right? Right? God, I've served you for this amount of time. I've served you. I've done this. I've given, up, I've given up this. I've given up that thing. And you haven't given me the husband I wanted. Or you haven't given me the wife I wanted. You haven't given me the career I wanted. You haven't given me the children I wanted, right? Or, or, or fill in the blank. God, I've done this for you. You haven't done this for me. That is the conversation that an employee has with their employer, right? Not between two uh, you know, you don't have that conversation in, in the gift exchange. If you're doing someone a favor, if you're offering a gift, and that you begin to start feeling as if like, man, I, sh- I should really be getting paid for this, you know? I should really be getting paid for this. It, it's, it's something to be aware of because it, what that shows you is that you're on the threshold between those two markets, Right? And I, look, there's, there's times, obviously, where that can be manipulated and you really should be being paid and all those things, so I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is in our attitude to God, if I'm, if I'm offering service to God and in my mind I'm starting to think, man, he's really going to hook me up after this, you know? I'm really sacrificing now, you know? <laughs> Which is, that's, that's like the Christian version of, uh, you know, of, of this kind of stuff. But gifts by nature are unmerited if you deserved a gift, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be wages, all right? And so here's one more thing about the effect of gifts and, and why it's so important for us to stay within that gift mentality with God is, th- is this, okay? Gifts build relationships. Commodities build barriers, all right? So for instance, you got to be careful who you receive a gift from, all right? If someone's head over heels for you and you're really not interested, don't accept the gift. 
They may want to shower you with all kinds of jewelry and all different things. Don't accept the gift because in accepting that gift, you're, you're, you're building a, a bond of relationship. All right? So this is why you should never accept gifts from the mafia. Right? Or from someone who's trying to sell you a timeshare. Right? My, me and my parents fell for that. We went to one of those free lunches where they give you a $100 gift certificate, you know, and of course they left there with a, with a, uh, a timeshare <laughs> that it took them like 10 years to get out of. You know, but <laughs> gifts build relationships, all right? Now, on the other hand, commodities set up barriers. So, for instance, if, you know, um, if, if you're a psychiatrist, psychologist, if you're with, you know, um, you're, you're entering into the deep things of people's lives and they're sharing stuff with you, there, there, there can be, people in that profession, they know, there, there can be um, barriers, there can be boundaries that begin to get muddled, all right? And people start to think of you as a friend, they start to, you know, and all these things, and it, and it, it disrupts the way that that should work. And so what do you do? Charge a fee. And as soon as you charge a fee, there's a barrier set up between you so that that relationship can function as it should because there should be a professional separation, right? And so when you want <laughs> to set up that barrier, it's easy, just charge a fee, right? And so gifts are the currency of love and relationship. This is why God offers his love as a gift. He doesn't offer it as something that you need to earn, because the whole point is that he wants not our stuff, but he wants us. He wants relationship with us. And so the more and more we try and like earn his favor and, and, and you know, uh, somehow pay him with our, the goodness of our life, it's, it's a little bit like, it's, a, it's as ridiculous as, you know, me going out for dinner with Mark Zuckerberg or like, you know, pick your billionaire and, and it comes to the, did that to the meal and I'm like, I'm fighting to pay the check, <laughs> right? I did that one time. A friend of mine is a hedge fund manager in, well, he used to be in London and uh, we go out to dinner, you know, and I had been taught by my parents, you know, you always fight for the check. You, you at least got to put a little fight, right? You got to act like you want to pay it, right? So I'm doing that, and he looks at me, and he says, Ian, never pay up. And, you know, I was kind of humbled in that moment, and it was funny, but, but I think about that, like, don't try and pay up to God. It's ridiculous, first of all. But second of all, what's happening there is that we're, we're, we're rejecting his gift. No, God, I don't want you to pay for me. I can do it on my own. I can make it. And so, it's a subtle thing, but it, it begins to affect our whole attitude towards God, and, and it, it's, it's a betrayal of the gift that he's offering us. And that brings us to the last point here, the third point, which is that God's generosity is superfluous in effect, all right? Uh, so superfluous, most of the time, it means excessive, but when you look at the, 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 where that comes from, it's superflow, it's the overflow, all right? And so, this is the point that I want us to leave with as we go into this holiday week. Um, if you want to keep the good news, good news, if you want to make sure that God is getting the glory in your life, you have to make sure that the gospel remains a gift. 
Because the one indispensable attitude that should be present in our lives is gratitude towards God. And I'll tell you why. Gratitude is the, the, it's the return gift. When someone gives you a gift, every gift calls for a gift in return. Right? That's how, that's how gifts work. Anyone watch The Big Bang Theory? A few people? Okay. There's a character called Sheldon, and he's, he's, uh, he's uh, <laughs> someone gives him a gift at Christmas, and he freaks out because he knows it, it, it gets you into this, uh, this reciprocity of gifts. He's like, oh, if someone gives me this gift, I've got to give them that kind of gift in return. And, so, and he's right. Every gift calls for a gift in return, but it doesn't have to be like for like. The basic gift that you need to offer in return is gratitude. When someone opens the door for you, they're doing you a favor, what do you say? Thank you. Right? Now, if you don't do that, they open the door for you and you just like, you know, you walk through. What are you saying? You're saying, yes, I deserve to have that door open for me. And uh, I'll be pleased if you do that next time I come. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, but if you recognize it as a gift, you naturally offer the gift of gratitude in return. And so, um, we can't earn a gift, uh, or it ceases to be a gift, um, but even the smallest of gifts demands that gift of gratitude in return. And so, by saying thanks to God, it's saying, you didn't need to do that for me, but you did it anyway, and I'm grateful. And so, gratitude is the necessary sign that I have received a gift. If the gratitude isn't present, you, that's an indicator that you're treating it as something you deserved. All right? So if, if, if there's not gratitude flowing out of my heart incessantly towards God, I need to ask myself, what is going on here? Why am I not naturally feeling more gratitude towards him? Maybe I need to spend more time meditating on just how undeserving I am of that gift and how wonderful the gift is. And when I do that, the effect in my life is that it makes me overflow with gratitude. And so... Paul says, your salvation is not a result of works so that no one may boast. Rather, you are God's worksmanship, and he's prepared you for good works that he's prepared in advance. And so, um, if God's grace is received as a gift, what it does is it sets us free from having to feel like we need to pay for it, and it sets us free to live a life of gratitude. You begin to live your life not out of man, I gotta, I gotta return the debt that I owe to God, which is, you can't do that. You start living out of, man, this, great, this gift, this grace that I've received, I'm free to live out of gratitude. I'm free because I don't have to pay for it. I'm just free to be thankful for everything that he's given me. And so when that's the case, our works begin to flow out of our salvation rather than our salvation flowing out of our works. Religion says, if you're able to perform, if you're able to do X, Y, and Z, at the end of your life, God might be pleased with you if you've done enough. The gospel says, you have received a free gift, now live your life in gratitude. You're already in his favor, you're already blessed, you're already accepted. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus picked up the bill. Stop trying to pay it, <laughs> right? And so... This is where our whole life comes into picture, which is this. The gift transforms the receiver when it's passed on. 
when you receive a gift and you know that it's not yours, the natural tendency is to pass it on, right? And so in the gift market, the cycle is not complete until the gift is passed on. So like I said, you know, someone opens the door, you say thank you, you're passing, you're passing a gift on, right? And maybe you go and open a door for somebody else. And so when we receive the gift of God and it results in gratitude, what happens is it transforms us. And we begin to operate out of his generosity. God didn't have to do the things that he did. And in the same way, because you're already in God's favor, it's not that you have to do anything. It's that you, you get to. You're free to. You don't, you, you're freed from that, that commodities market. Um, you're freed to offer your life back to him as a gift. And so... When we receive God's gift, we're changed and it begins to flow out of us in generous, grateful hearts. And so I want to ask you today as we close, I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to sing a song um, of gratitude, of thanks uh, as we close. I know we've run over today, um, but I want to leave you with this question. Are you grateful to God today? And if so, if you've received that gift, who are you going to pass it on to? Just as it's been freely given to you, freely give. Because in the giving, you both more fully receive the gift and the gift transforms you. So let's stand together. Let's end with a a, a song um, of our gratitude. And Lord God, we just... I pray, Lord, that as we go into this this week of Thanksgiving where we gather as families, um, and Lord, we remember those who um, don't have people to gather with, Lord. Um, But Lord, we go into this week asking you to generate these hearts of gratitude in us once again. Lord, for anyone here who who sees this and recognizes, um, man, I'm not overflowing with that thankfulness. I'm not overflowing with that gratitude, Lord. Lord, help us to focus back on just how wonderful your gift is. Lord, that we're free to live a life of gratitude because you gave it to us freely. Jesus, thank you that you're the gift. And thank you that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. And we pray this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.